You are listening to the Journey Christian Church Podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at journeycc.net. Today's message is brought to you by Scott McFarland. We hope you enjoy.
And the disciples on that occasion said, this man even has control over the wind and the waves. What a, what a night this would have been for his disciples. Maybe put yourself in the place of one of those disciples and see yourself in that boat. And the waves flashing over you and you wonder if you're going to survive. What a night it was for those disciples. And then that wasn't the end of it. There's another, another event that comes up that maybe to some of them would have been even worse than having the boat in a storm. It's an eerie picture that takes place here. Hollywood couldn't have staged it any better than this. The night... The storm, no chance for survival if Jesus hadn't calmed that storm, but that wasn't the end of it all. What an experience for them. After they calmed the water, the disciples then rowed in the boat on over to the shore on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee to a place called, depending on the translation you have in your Bibles, it would be called Gerasa or Gadara or Gergesa, and it was there that they had another very frightful experience. Let me read it for you from the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear that you will not torture me. For Jesus was saying to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside nearby. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, 
Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Dealing with demons has never been a pleasant subject, whether we ever experienced it or have heard about it. This demon-possessed man, or in some places it's called an evil spirit or an unclean spirit, in the text I read, he uses the word demons three different times. When Jesus and disciples in the boat came up to the shore, this man came out to meet them. Perhaps he felt like he was guarding his territory, and he didn't want anyone to intrude on this. We don't know who the man was. Before he became demon-possessed, he must have been a citizen of the town nearby, but we don't know if he might have been a civic leader, a businessman, I wonder about his family back there at home. Maybe he was a sports hero. Maybe he was a farmer. We just don't know. But what we do know about him was that he was physically nauseous, dirty, smelly, nude, violent, bloody, because he cut himself running in the hills like a madman, very strong because it says he broke iron chains from off his hands and his feet, and surely he would have been avoided by people. But Jesus came, confronted him. It doesn't tell us anything about the disciples, these people who are terrified of this whole event now, having been through the storm and now facing a demon, they, they aren't interested in this story at all. You not find them included here. We wonder if they may have stayed in the boat and let Jesus deal with this on his own. But Jesus approached this man, and he asked him a question. Look at verses 9, uh, verses 9 through 13. This is what happened. Jesus asked this man what his name was. What's your name? It's important to know sometimes and get the name of the person right. The hippie era of American history ended in the 1960s. Those old rock and roll LSD refugees of San Francisco's Haight-Ashbury district began moving down the coast to Santa Cruz. They got married and had children too, though not usually in that sequence. But these hippie parents never named their children Melissa or Brett. They named their children lovely names like Snow Princess, Seafoam, Panache. People around Santa Cruz grew accustomed to their children playing Frisbee with little time warp or spring fever. Eventually, a lot of children with names like Moonbeam or Earth Love and Precious Promise all ended up in public school. And it was in that era of our history, one of the Santa Cruz kindergarten teachers first met a child named Fruit Stand. On the first day of school, this hippie child got off the bus wearing a tag proudly displaying Fruit Stand. The teacher thought the name was odd, but no odder 
than some of the names of the other hippie children. She avoided making the boy feel self-conscious about the name. Would you like to play with the blocks, fruit stand, she asked. And later, fruit stand, how about a snack? Little fruit stand accepted all of her offers hesitantly. And by the time of the afternoon recess, the name didn't seem much odder than Heather's or Sunray's or Fairy Queen's. At the final bell, the teacher led the children out to the buses. Fruit stand, do you know which one is your bus? He didn't answer. That was, wasn't particularly strange. He hadn't answered all day. The teacher realized a lot of children are shy on the first day of school. It didn't matter. She had instructed the parents to write the names of the children's bus stop on the reverse side of their name tags. And just as the teacher put the little boy on the bus and said, Goodbye, fruit stand, I'll see you tomorrow, she turned over his bus tag, and there, neatly printed, was the word Anthony. <laughs> see how important it is to get the name right. This is what Jesus wanted to know. What's the name of this man? And he said, My name is Legion. Now, why would he be hesitant to say what his real name was. You see, when we reveal our name to someone, it releases to that person a measure of power over us. If your child comes to my place to play ball and hits the ball through one of my windows, I'm going to run out there and say, Son, what's your name? And he will hesitate to answer because he knows that if I know his name, I may know his parents, and I will go to his parents, and he will be in trouble. See, we surrender power when we reveal our names. There's an old custom among some of the early Indian tribes in this country that the, the groom, the, the Indian man, marrying the Indian lady does not know her name until their ceremony is finalized. Because they too believe that when he knows her name, he takes on a measure of authority over her. There's even a story in the Bible with Jacob wrestling an angel during the night. And the angel said to Jacob, what is your name? And he said, my name is Jacob. And the angel said, that's true, but from now on, you will be called Israel. Then Jacob said to the angel, what is your name? And the angel did not tell him. See, the name of this demon was Legion, which is an old Roman military group. And in this military group of Legion, there were 6,000 military soldiers. That must mean that there were 6,000 demons. Now do your math. How many pigs went down into the water and were drowned? 2,000 it says. So how many per pig were the demons? Must have been three per pig. Yeah, well, it may have been, it may not have been, it doesn't matter. Well, uh, what I want to talk with you about this morning is the fact that the word begged is used four times in this passage, and each occurrence is significant, 
and allows insight to people both then and today. So here's the first one in verse 10. It says, he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. So the question in each one of these is, who is it that did the begging? In this one, it was the man, the demon-possessed man was begging Jesus not to get rid of the demons from him. He wanted to keep his demons. It may have been the man's voice with the demons speaking, but nevertheless, the man is the one who said it, don't send the de demons away from me. I have become accustomed to them. It's my lifestyle now. A number of years ago, I was in my graduate work at Santa Clara University in Santa Clara, California, as a major was psychology and counseling. Very first class I took in this program, a Jesuit priest was leading the class on communication. And he had us all in a large circle. There were probably 35 or 40 people in our class, a large circle of chairs around. And the assignment was that we were going from person to person, each one telling, us what, telling him what our name was and what we intended to get out of this course. So we went around the class, each one hearing their stories. And we came back, ended up with the priest. He's going to share his story now. And this is what he told it. First night, first class in my master's degree program. He said, what you need to know about me is that I am possessed of demons. And I forget how many he said. It was either five or six. I have five or six demons living in me. We've tried everything we can to get them removed. We've been through all kinds of exercises with other priests and everything in prayer and everything, and, they, and I, they're still living in me. And he said to us, if it's okay with you, it's okay with me. He had become accustomed to living with his demons, and it was okay with him. You know what's worse than demon possession? That's enjoying demon possession. This man resented any effort to have these demons removed from him. Not, maybe unaware that to be released from them would be better than having a life with them. There is a line in an old play that goes like this. So long had he been in prison that he and his very fetters became friends. That's what it might have been for this man. It's referred to sometimes as sweet misery or comfortable misery. Maybe that's the reason some people refuse Christ's deliverance from sin. The sin is unconfessed because there's lack of repentance or maybe because they're just enjoying their sin and they wouldn't give it up so we hear the question sometimes, can I become a Christian and still do whatever that is that's contrary to Christian life? Or if I lose the demons, 
Can I still run wild and be strong and terrorize people? Will I have to give up something? I suspect that if Christ comes in, something else will have to go. And that's true. The second case of questioning, uh, uh, begging, was by, this, uh, by another person. Uh, it was the demons. In verse 12, it says, The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. See, it was the demons who were begging for the pigs. They now are aware of God's power over them. They've revealed this, their name to Him. But they didn't know if they were to go into the pigs, the pigs would head for the water. The old legend is that there's one thing that demons fear, and that's drowning. I don't know if that's true, but that's what was believed at the time, that they were dry land creatures. Jesus talked one time in Matthew, it was recorded, and then in Luke again, talked of demons who go through arid places or waterless places because they fear the water. The demons went to their end, but they didn't think it would work that way. Jesus may have had a different plan for that, but since they came up with their own alternative, they had a better idea. Send us to the pigs, but don't put us in the water. So he put them in the pigs. That was their idea, and then they went into the water. You suppose some of us at times present alternatives to Jesus that are equally destructive to us? Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. And we say, but Jesus, would it be okay if instead, and it ends up not so good, we make wrong choices that have bad endings. We, rather than surrender to Jesus, we create our own alternatives. I, I don't want Jesus in my life right now. I, I'm doing something that's at least more pleasurable for now. It may have to do with alcohol or drugs or sexuality or maybe it's getting new possessions, constantly filling up my barns and my garage. Maybe it's witchcraft. Or maybe it's some other strange religion. Perhaps like Solomon in Ecclesiastes, always looking for something new, something that would give him meaning. I'll substitute my way rather than have what Jesus has. And we choose to rush with the pigs rather than to be cleansed and blessed by Jesus. Our way is not always the best. There's a third begging that went on. Verse 17, it says, The people began to plead or beg with Jesus to leave their region. Who was begging? The people from the region. They were the ones who perhaps owned this 
2,000 pigs. And now they want Jesus to leave them. The witnesses that saw all this take place went back into the town and they told the people what they had just experienced by Jesus. So the people came out to see and when they got there, what they saw was Jesus, then a man who was dressed and it said he was sitting, he was in his right mind, what would they think? There's something else they saw. No pigs. The pigs were gone. Their possession. The people were afraid and they begged Jesus to leave, leave because of this man. We lost our pigs. What were their values? Here is a man that is completely healed of demon possession. He can go back into town and continue his business or his family or whatever else it was. And that doesn't mean anything to them. They lost their pigs. The salvation of this madman cost them their property. I think it's a true story because I've known some of their relatives. They've lived even today. They prefer no moral improvement if it's going to cost something from me. When I was, when I was much younger, watching TV, a, a, a country western show, and you, you know this is long enough ago, it was in black and white. And it was a country western place. It, it was a town that was a, full of violence, a small town. And uh, the tavern was kind of the main place for people to gather. And there were a lot of fights going on. And occasionally someone was shot and language was not pure and all this. And uh, people were hoping for, some of the people, mostly the ladies, were hoping that something would happen that would clean up this town and rid the people that are causing trouble. And a new reverend came to town. They had a church building, and a few ladies and their children would meet there on Sunday morning and have a little lesson, but they didn't have a reverend. But a new one came to town. And in this, uh, in this show, he began running around town, the reverend, meeting the people, and of course, he went to the tavern. He didn't drink, but that's where he got acquainted with people. He was a very likable person. And what happened in this movie was that the people started, uh, stopped fighting. And there were no murders coming out of the tavern or other places in town. And some of the men began attending the Sunday church services and the whole town just changed. The tavern owner was very upset because he was losing his business and he tried to run him out of town. Yeah, I think there are some people alive who are still relatives of them. Rather not have what Jesus offers if it's going to cost me something, if I have to change 
my routines, my habits, my style, or even my associates. Because change does cost something. Now there's one last time when the begging takes place in this text. Verse 18, it says, The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. It says Jesus was getting in his boat and they were ready to leave and this man came up to him, begged him to let him go with Jesus. Why? Leslie Weatherhead was a great preacher of years past who made this statement about this man. He said, He who tastes of life-giving water wants to linger at the well. Get it? He who tastes of life-giving water wants to linger at the well. Why would he want to stay with Jesus or go with him? What was his motivation? Maybe out of grateful love for what Jesus had done for him. Maybe he was fearful of a return of other demons then, a dread of some kind of recurrence. Maybe he didn't realize that when Jesus heals us, he also gives us power to fight off any kind of demon that comes later, the Holy Spirit. Jesus refused this man. He said, no, I want you to go back to your family and tell them what happened here. This man was not a theologian. He was not a scholar. All he had to share with them was what Jesus did for him. Remember, this was a wild man, unclothed and out of his mind, terrible life. But he was clothed now in his right mind because he fell at the feet of Jesus. So here's the application for this. Jesus said to him, essentially, you tell people how beautiful life has become since he shook hell's dirty hands off of you. That's not my phrase. I'm not that eloquent, but this is what he said. You tell the people in your town, you go to your family, and you tell them how beautiful life has become since Jesus shook hell's dirty hands off of you. In other words, you go into town and tell the people what Jesus did for you because he can do it for them too. I want to end with some questions that relate to each of these four areas of begging. The first one is this. To make it personal, to what am I clinging that limits what Jesus wants to do for and through me? What am I keeping hold of that hinders His work of blessing me? If I release this sin for His cleansing... What did he do? What would he do for me in the way of blessing that I'm hindering because I will not give it up? What would it be for you? The second question is, what alternatives have I created rather than accepting what Jesus wants for me? 
Have I ever really listened to what his offer is? That is, what am I saying, Jesus, right now, I would rather continue doing what I'm doing than to give that up to receive what you have to offer. The third question is, in what areas or matters have I placed the wrong values? What are the pigs in my life? What are the things that, I, that are valuable to me now that will be missing if I turn to Jesus' blessings? The fourth one is, what has Jesus asked me to do since he healed me? Go back and romp around on the hillside in the caves? Follow him, go with him? Or head home and rejoice in his goodness? Talk to the people? Witness for him? What would Jesus have me do as a result of what he has done to bless my life? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the message of this man and what you've done for him. And it may not be in the way of demons. It may be other kinds of things that are standing in the way of us receiving your full blessing on our life, things that we hold on to, sins perhaps that are hindering what you want to do for us. We need to be relieved of those sins and we know that Jesus is the one who can take them away from us and give us something better, even to the point that we would want to say, whatever it is it will cost me, I give that up, I surrender that, in order to have Jesus. I pray that each of us in our hearts will feel the same way as this man. We just want to stay with Jesus, but on the way, take others with us, because we're going to share how Jesus shook hell's dirty hands off of us. In his name, in his power, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Journey Christian Church Podcast. If you would like to support us as we pursue God and love people one at a time, please consider a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeycc.net slash giving.